0: Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is Locked On Hawks, host and NBA draft guru, Brad Roland, back uh, to talk some 2020 NBA draft regrades as well as some of the 2021 draft. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Brad.
1: Thanks for having me, Chad. Always happy to be here.
0: Well, at the last time we were on a podcast together, we were grading together the Easton Conference draft grades. We did it the night after the draft. I always hesitate to do draft grades right after the draft because we literally know nothing now except that this player is going to play with this team. It's before free agency. There's so many things that we don't know, but we do our best. But now we're a year into this thing. And while I think probably three years is probably the appropriate amount of time to be able to think about, you know, what a player actually did or didn't do or what they're going to look like in the NBA, I think we do learn some stuff after the first year. I think we have to be careful. Uh, I can think about uh, DeAndre Hunter, for example, and and the Hawks and maybe struggles in year one, but comes back and plays really well uh, in year two. But I want to go through and think about this draft now that we have essentially a full year uh, under our belts and see what we think about our grades and how they held up uh, against what happened in year one for many of
1: these prospects. Sound good, Brad? Absolutely. Uh, it is early, as you say, but uh, we, we know more than we did a year ago. That's <laughs> we do. We do. So let's start. Uh,
0: last time, if you want to go back and listen to our podcast, that's episode 40, Eastern Conference Draft Grades. We went by draft order and in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to do the same thing here. So I'm going to start in Charlotte. They had the highest pick of any of the teams in the Eastern Conference. They drafted LaMelo Ball, Vernon Carey Jr., uh, Nick Rick, Rick, Rick Nick Richards out of Kentucky, and Grant Riller. You gave them an A. I gave them an A. Uh, in this draft, how are you feeling about Charlotte's draft a year a year later?
1: I would say uh, similarly, but not in the not necessarily in the perfect way that I did a year ago. I think Lamelo Ball has been even better than I thought, and I had him number one. Uh, but he, I think, almost everyone would say he overachieved or at least beat the baseline in his rookie season. And the other three guys, I kind of liked a couple of those picks, and I you know none of them have really done much of anything. But none of that really matters when you. Presumably get the number one player in the draft at number three. Uh, you kind of almost have a baked in A when that happens, especially when he plays the way that he did so far this year.
0: Yeah, I felt the same way, Brad. I, I had I also had LaMelo Ball number one on my board and was giving them an A because at pick three, when I think you get the best player on the board, you should get an A. But I wasn't expecting LaMelo Ball to be this good this soon. I, I saw this level of upside But I thought it was going to take longer for him to make the transition from Australia to the NBA, uh, especially when they signed Gordon Hayward. And then you wondered what his role was even going to be at Charlotte. He has just exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations. Why has he been so good this year?
1: Honestly, it's a lot of different things. You know, he had the injury to kind of give him that that hiccup a little bit during the season. But I think for one, he defended a lot better than I thought he was going to. Um, that that's not the lead item, probably, but that was uh, you know a pretty interesting subplot for me. Is that I think the tools were always there, but he's never really defended before, before the NBA at any level. He kind of never got asked to play defense very much, and I, I think he showed some aptitude right away, and, uh, and that was pretty encouraging. And then the other big thing was the shooting. Uh, I think. His passing, his playmaking were the big appeals for him coming in, and the shooting was kind of like we were all hoping that it would progress. And he came in and shot, you know, pretty well right out of the gate. And I'm not sure where his true baseline is as a shooter, but the fact that he was able to come in and shoot, you know, con- you know contested, uncontested, off the dribble, catch and shoots. And do all of that at a reasonable level right away at his age was uh, pretty impressive and I think allowed him to uh, play better in the overall than I I think I projected early on because I, I was with you. I mean, I think his upside was always pretty clear, but he was not supposed to be this polished this fast.
0: We knew he was going to be another worldly passer, and I don't think people who weren't following close enough really understood what that meant, but it didn't take long. Uh, for people and I think just regular NBA fans to see, okay, this is special on an elite level. Like Lamelo sees the floor as well as like maybe all but like five guys in the NBA just coming in right away. But I I, th- I think you're right. If you would have told me at the end of the se- season that he would have a positive defensive plus-minus, uh, that would have surprised me, uh, and that he would be shooting 36% uh, from three. Uh, taking you know a a fairly decent volume uh, of threes. He, he uh, I I probably would have told you yeah I don't really I don't really believe that I I think that's that's what we hope would happen down the road and yet here he is uh, in year one doing it how good do you think he can ultimately be what what how how far away is he from his ceiling
1: I, I think this thing is pretty high you know it's it's a little bit tough to tell this early but when one of the appeals with him was his ceiling and he's already so far ahead of schedule. You almost have to almost raise the ceiling a little bit. Not that you want to go crazy and talk about him as the next LeBron or anything, but you have to, I think, adjust. And he's on the short list of guys who I think has, you know, all in like first team, all NBA kind of ceiling. That's not necessarily projecting that, but when you combine his size with his passing and his tools and the way that he shot it already, the ceiling is pretty much the, you know, it's, it's kind of the sky at this moment, at this moment in time, I'm not sure. Were to, were to place that for a 19-year-old kid. But it's kind of scary if you were to actually just kind of dream big and look at the upside and just combine all the things that he could theoretically do. It's, you know, top five player in the league probably.
0: Big high five, too, to Michael Jordan. Uh, this this was who Charlotte was on from the beginning. This was the number one guy in on their board. And, and Jordan and company saw – the star potential here. And I think one of the other positive outcomes for Charlotte is forget just that he's helping them win basketball games. He's made the Hornets relevant again. They've been must-see TV uh, this season. It's been a really long time since you could say that about the Charlotte Hornets. And as much as obviously winning is the ultimate goal, it really helps to be relevant again as a franchise. And I think LaMelo Ball has put them back on the map, and uh, I'm really excited for him. There was a lot of detractors. I think it's just worth pointing out. There were a lot of people who were down on LaMelo Ball. There was questions even on draft night, whether he might slide to five, six, or seven in the draft. He's really answered all of his critics in just an amazing rookie season. Let's go on to the Chicago Bulls, who had a minor surprise. We we kind of got a hint on this the night before the draft that they were going to take Patrick Williams at four higher than he'd really been projected most of the season by most people. What grade did you give him? Uh, What grade did you give Chicago last year? And what grade are you giving him this year?
1: If I recall, I think I was, you know, at least middling, like on the pick. Not, I didn't really kill it necessarily, but not a guy who I would have taken at four was pretty much where I was, you know, so I guess somewhere below average in terms of their uh, actual grade. I do think that he has probably been a little bit better than I thought. He's not lit the world on fire, but for a guy who you know one of the appeals with him was that he's so he was so young and so raw coming out of Florida State that I think I assumed he was going to be a little bit more out of place than he's been. Again, not that he's lit the world on fire, but he's played a lot of minutes and he's done so without looking out of place, which may not sound uh, crazy as, as terms of praise. But for a guy as young as he is and as talented as he is to kind of be out there and not be noticed in a bad way is noteworthy. And I think there are the makings there of a really, really good player and a really valuable player because of what um, sort of the position that he occupies, that combo forward Everybody wants that, you know, six, eight guy who's athletic and physical and toolsy. And he kind of has flashed enough where I'm definitely higher on the pick than I was. Um, you know, I think I'd probably give it like a B now. I still don't think that he would have been the guy that I chose, but you can certainly see what Chicago saw in him now.
0: I gave him a B B-plus in November and the, the main reason behind that, I was high on Patrick Williams, I think he was fifth on my board, was and and this was a reoccurring theme, if you remember, was Tyrese Halliburton was my number four guy. And I really thought for a team like Chicago, who had those aspirations of moving out of the lottery and becoming a playoff team, that Halliburton was just a better fit culturally for a lot of reasons in Chicago. I, I still feel that after all that we've seen Tyrese Halliburton do in Sacramento, but to your point, Patrick Williams has shown enough to me. You're right. He didn't light the world on fire. No matter how you slice it, analytically, whatever, he's been he's been okay as a rookie. But he's one of the youngest players in the draft. He's shown the potential that I think Chicago saw in him. He's gotten a ton of minutes and a ton of experience. And if he can just show growth... From year to year, I think they're going to feel pretty good about this pick. Will they feel as good as the, as if they would have taken Halliburton? I, I'm not sure about that, just given what we've seen uh, from Tyrese Halliburton. But I think that the uh, whole idea with Patrick Williams was that his ceiling was higher. And I think we're still, again, probably another two years, maybe three years away from truly seeing what Patrick Williams' ceiling is right now for Chicago. All right. That all sounds right. Cleveland. On the board, Isaac Okoro was their pick at number five. You liked this pick more than I did, uh, if if I remember correctly. Um, in in 2020, uh, I gave them a C plus. You remember what grade you gave them? I think correct? it was
1: a I think it was a B plus somewhere. I think it was a range. B
0: plus. Yeah, that's right. And this is back in November. Uh, what what say you now after watching Isaac Okoro play a year with the Cleveland Cavaliers?
1: I think I feel pretty similarly, actually, which may not be great radio, but I, I think that, especially lately, he's kind of come on. Uh, there was a 32-point game he had recently. I don't want to dwell too much on that, but he's flashed a little bit offensively, and I think he's leading the Cavs in minutes, which isn't a small thing for a rookie. Yes, they're bad, but he's been out there. He's They've trusted him defensively. He's been their best defender on the perimeter, um, and I think that you can sort of see what they were looking for now with how he guards, especially how he moves, how he can attack the rim. He's physical. He's athletic. There are still offensive questions, to be sure, and he, he has not answered them in year one, but I think he's done enough to where I still feel good about it. I think I probably would just not change my grade at all and say it was B+. You could probably quibble with that. I know Halliburton's name should come up with any discussion, basically, for a little while here on the draft board, but I think Okoro is what they wanted him to be, at least for now, because of what they already had on board.
0: I upped my grade a little bit from a C-plus to a B-minus. I think all those concerns about Okoro offensively have been warranted. Uh, If you look at the advanced analytics, uh, his value uh, over placement uh, player, his VORP is second to last in the entire draft class, uh, struggled with uh, PER. Uh, His um, box score plus minus, all pretty, pretty low. And all of it is pointing uh, to to his struggles offensively, you're right that he's had uh, he's had lots of opportunities uh, to play, and he's had he's had a few solid games of late. I think the question is, does he ever get there? And uh, I have my questions. Uh, you know, after watching him for a season, certainly guys can progress, but when you're talking about a 29% three point shooter, that that's a problem in 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 our league uh, with that with, with the position that he plays. His free throw percentage. Uh, also, something that is is problematic for him defensively is why they drafted him, and that they you hope the offense uh, comes along. But at some point, the offense does have to come along to warrant a top five pick in a draft when you had players like like Tyrese Halliburton on the board here. And so I I'm, I'm up in upping it a little bit because I'm a little bit more bullish on him than I was on draft night, uh, but not not as much yet. Okay. Let's move on, and we're going to go now to your team that you cover expertly on Locked on Hawks. If you haven't listened to Brad yet in his podcast, the Locked on Podcast Network, Locked on Hawks. First of all, congratulations. Part of the reason you're a Hawks podcaster and a draft guru is those two things go together, the Hawks and the lottery. And this year, they're looking like they're going to be maybe like a fifth seed. Uh, in the playoffs right now.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very different. Um, I The first year that I did the podcast, the Hawks was the Dwight Howard year, and they were, in, they were in the playoffs that year. It was not a lot of fun to cover, but they were in the playoffs, and every year since, they have not been. So I've been doing lots of draft coverage in the summer, and this year, maybe a little bit less, which is good. I'll still be covering the draft, of course, but uh, not not for as long, which is a, a nice break.
0: They drafted Onyeka Kongwu out of USC, Uh, With the sixth pick in the draft, and then Skyler Mays uh, with the fiftieth pick in the draft, how did you feel about their draft on draft night, and and how do you feel about it today?
1: I think I gave them uh, a pretty high mark, you know, somewhere in that A minus B B plus kind of range last year, and I really like a Kongwu. I think there were some overreactions early this season when he wasn't playing, uh, and also he played. I would say he struggled early on, but he was injured when they picked him. They knew that, and also. (laughs) What the Hawks, I'm not even sure, saw come in was that Click Capella has been incredible this year, so they just haven't needed a Congo to do much, which doesn't look great for your draft regrade because you're asking a guy to, um, you know, sort of be graded on a pretty small sample size. But a Congo has been much, much better in the last couple of months. Once he started playing uh, more regularly, getting his competence under, under him, he's kind of flashed the stuff that we saw at USC. So, I think the Hawks are probably conflicted a little bit because they have Capella who kind of had a breakout this year and Kongwu was at the same position. But if you just evaluate Okongwu what he actually is – uh, it's kind of what I thought it was going to be now that he's been playing r- right regularly. I am going to leave it to you to mention Tyrese Halliburton, and you should. But uh, <laughs> other than that, uh, I think that this is a pick that I still think was a pretty good one for the Hawks. So you might ding it a, like a half grade, go, not a, maybe a B because he just hasn't had the kind of role that you would have envisioned so far. But I still think that the pick makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you if you project out his numbers to like 36 minutes, uh, which you know some of these other top rookies are getting... You know, minutes like that. He he had a, he had a, actually a pretty solid season, especially especially of late. And I I think to your point, uh, whenever you got those Akongwu sightings, you were seeing what made the Hawks draft him, where they drafted him. My question was all about timing. I mean, because the Hawks go into the summer, they make all these moves to bring in guys. They're they're clearly making a serious playoff push, and Tyrese Halliburton to me seemed like the ideal backcourt mate. Uh, for Trey Young, and they pass on him for a guy who developmentally, I think, was was further away. W- w- regardless of what you're going to say about him, uh, he was further away. And, and like you said, you had people at his position like Clint Capella or whatever. And so from a strategy, from a draft strategy standpoint, I mean, not only has Halliburton turned out to be really, really good, but he seemed like maybe of all the teams, the most obvious fit here uh, in Atlanta. And I, I'm, I'm not sure why they passed on him. Do you do you have any in, intel or insight onto why ultimately it was a Kong Wu over, over someone like Halliburton?
1: Yeah, there's always been rumblings. In fact, uh, Halliburton gave an interview, I think it was to The Athletic, where he almost said, um, pretty candidly, that they didn't want him to go to Atlanta, um, which was interesting. I, I'm not sure how much that played into it because you know this. Uh, just because a player doesn't want to go somewhere doesn't mean that the team will pick them. Uh, the team can still pick that guy. It happens all the time. But I wonder if um, that was part of the thought process. Is that maybe that was communicated to Atlanta? Maybe they just loved a Kongwu. I heard the entire way that they did like a Kongwu. So maybe that was just the best player available pick. Um, I'm not. I think I don't, I'm not sure we'll ever like know for sure on that. But I'm with you. I mean Halliburton. I, uh, not to do the whole thing again, but I think that Halliburton is a guy that you might profile as being ready quickly, as you just kind of said, and with where the Hawks were, that might've helped them, but they also had just signed Rage on Rondo and maybe they were ready to go in that direction too. So that didn't work out very well, but alas, uh, I think a uh, is what they wanted at the end of the day. And maybe they would have leaned in Halliburton's direction if they, if he wanted to be there, but he didn't want to be, I don't think. And maybe that was a tiebreaker.
0: Interesting. Uh, I, I I didn't hear that story, but that that is very very common. And um, the draft, uh, interesting that Atlanta would be affected by that, because as you said, teams end up drafting players all the time that direction. I gave him a 2020 grade in November of a B minus. I'm gonna stick with mine at a B minus in 2021. I like a Kong Wu. I like his upside. I think that if they're being honest, probably have to regret not taking Tyrese Halliburton there and and the role that he could have played on what is still a very young team um, in Atlanta, I think uh, would have been a stronger fit for them. Let's go to Detroit. It was a strange draft for Detroit. They they had a a lot of picks. They had Killian Hayes at seven, Isaiah Stewart at 16, Sadiq Bey at 19, who surprisingly slid a bit in the draft, Saban Lee at 38. I gave them a B-minus again, You know, a lot of, a lot of mine was Tyrese Halliburton's there, Tyrese Halliburton's (laughs) there. Uh, And to to my surprise, some of their draft turned out better than I thought, some of it worse. Uh, What did you think about their draft in November and what do you think about it now?
1: Yeah, I I know I liked Killian Hayes a little bit more um, than you did if I, if memory serves. Uh, And honestly, that's the part of the draft that's like more of an incomplete right now. Hayes got hurt and was pretty bad when he played. He's been a little bit better lately since he came back from the hip injury, but um, that's the more of the question mark. And um, I I would say amusingly, they seem to have nailed the two mid first rounders. Uh, I like Sadiq Bay. Uh, that was a solid pick that I enjoyed, but Isaiah Stewart was one that threw me a curveball, and he's not, he's obviously been quite good this year. I think they have to be thrilled with the way that he has played. He's making me look silly for doubting him a little bit um, in the draft through it's, it's, again, it's only one year, but I think both those guys are outpacing their draft slot, which really helps their overall grade. And even Saman Lee has done some decent stuff for them as a backup point guard type. So um, it's not, it's not often when you have four picks at the top guy is the question mark, but it's kind of where we are with the business now.
0: It just shows you what a crapshoot the draft is in a lot of ways, right? You get four picks, and maybe your best of those pick was the third guy that you took uh, at, at 19, especially in year one, though I think we kind of saw that coming with Sadiq Bey a little bit. Uh, I, I actually liked Killian Hayes. I, I didn't like him as much as Tyrese Halliburton, but I did like Killian Hayes. I I, I I didn't have a huge problem with them taking them here. I think you're right in your assessment of of his rookie season. It started off very scary, like, oh, man, maybe we got Killian Hayes totally wrong. He probably, of all the top rookies, looked the shakiest uh, in the first half of the season before getting injured. I think he has looked more composed, better. There's still a lot of concerns right there. You know, his shooting uh, has been just really, um, really, really atrocious, uh, and uh, his turnover rate uh, has also been something that, that's, that's concerning. Um, but he's young. And, you know, this is a big transition. And like I said, he has been playing better. Sadiq Bey, I I thought this was, interestingly enough, I kind of knocked Detroit a little bit because I'm like, I think they should have went for a higher upside guy than Sadiq Bey. I sort of saw Sadiq Bey kind of landing on a team uh, like Dallas, who had a pick right before them, who was going to come in and be able to step in and right away and play. And I thought that was one of the appeals. Well, he certainly did that. Um, I think he's probably been one of the top five rookies Uh, in this draft class. Now, whether he has a a high ceiling, I'm not sure about yet, but he was everything that we'd hoped he would be. And like you said, I also did not have Isaiah Stewart nearly this high on my board. I dinged him a little bit for that. And they seem to generally uh, have been right uh, about Isaiah Stewart. Probably should have switched Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart and and, and when they drafted them. But overall, they got pieces. And I think for a rebuilding team, like Detroit, that's one of the things that you just have to kind of look at. Did they get some pieces that they're going to be able to build around? I think the answer is yes. Now now this year, they really need to go out and find a star. By the way, I should have said
1: I give Detroit a B. Did we get your grade from Detroit? Uh, I am going to give Detroit to stay on brand, being a, a slightly higher than you. I'm going to give them a B plus because I still believe in Killian Hayes. Yeah, they're going to they're going to need one for sure. That's a that's a team that's definitely deep in its rebuild right now. Even with even with having three first rounders and at least two of them looking pretty good right now, you have to get some ceiling somewhere. And they probably know that, but it's time.
0: All right, B plus. When we come back, the Knicks will be the first team. The surprise Knicks will be the team that we'll talk about. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Lockdown Podcast Network. I want to talk about our new sponsor, RockAuto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do it yourselfers, RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And we're back talking 2020 NBA draft Eastern Conference regrades and with Locked On Hawks host Brad Rowland. We did a draft grades thing. Uh, Last year in November, as as part of the podcast, he and I went through all the Eastern Conference grades. You can go check out that podcast. You can also go over to my new website, www.nbabigboard.com. I've got Mock Draft 1.0 up there. I've got Big Board 4.0, got who's in and who's out of the NBA draft, lots of in-depth scouting reports going on. And I'm writing uh, about the Eastern Conference and, and these rookies from 2020 and sort of assessing where I had them last year versus this year. You can read all about that. Uh, over on my new website and newsletter uh, at nbabigboard.com. Brad, let's talk about the Knicks because I don't know about you, but I I thought coming into the season, the Knicks were going to be one of the two or three worst teams in the Eastern Conference. They are uh, in line to be a fourth seed uh, in the playoffs. biggest surprise at all, Julius Randle having a huge breakout um, season. Uh, R.J. Barrett, a guy that is another reason that you may want to go back and say don't, don't over overemphasize one year because he struggled as his rookie year with the Knicks, but has really come on uh, in his second uh, season. They've been awesome, and ironically, they drafted Obi Toppin at eight, who I think a lot of people, including myself, thought might be the top candidate for rookie of the year, and then shocked all of us by drafting Emmanuel quickly at twenty five. I gave them a C on draft night. I'm not sure what was your grade on draft night, and what do you think about the Knicks draft now?
1: Yeah, it was in the same range as you. I, I didn't. I didn't love it. Uh, you know, Toppin. I, I was with you actually. If you were to make the case for Toppin, it probably included him being pretty good right away compared to other rookies, and that hasn't really transpired. But part of that is that the Knicks have been so good, and he hasn't played as much because. I was with you again, like, surprisingly, they are uh, where they're not supposed to be. Like, the Knicks were not supposed to be winning this year. They're supposed to be in this rebuild phase, and uh, they're not there, which is, again, a credit to them. But Thomas just played less and has not been great. I think one of the – again, one of the appeals of them is, like, maybe NBA readiness offensively, and he's not – he's not being being able to produce at the same level that I kind of thought he might uh, and because of his age, you have to worry about that a little bit. That was one of the knocks, too, is that he's a little bit older. You want him to come in and be really productive. And he's had kind of a weird role, too, to be charitable to him. Mm-hmm. And then, quickly, I mean, quickly, has actually been the by far the better rookie of the two. I'm not sure if you put him higher than Toppen in a redraft, but especially with like a year a year after, I think quickly would certainly go higher in a draft and Toppin would almost have to go lower. So you almost want to leave the grade as is because they kind of gone down in one, on one way and up on the other. But usually the top pick is a, a little more consequence. So if anything, I'd probably go down like a half grade, something like a C minus, but that's not a knock on quickly who's been good. It's just that Toppin is not the guy that I would have gone with.
0: You know, it's really interesting because this is the second team that we're talking about in a row that get their first pick maybe wrong uh and then and then they kind of nail this this pick later and you you kind of scratch your head because quickly i i mean it's been one of the top five rookies in the nba this year i i think and you know again what is his upside and and what is his role and he's kind of had an interesting role since derrick rose has been brought back to new york and and what he's done but he, he has been able to shoot the basketball and clearly this was a, a major major miss for me. I, I did not have him rated as a first round prospect, and he clearly clearly probably should have been uh, in the in the late lottery, mid first round at the very at the very least, just based off of what we've seen um, in his rookie year uh, at New York. and And Toppen, I think. You know, we had some reservations about Toppin, and right. The appeal was what he can come in and do. And on day one, he struggled a bit with that. Now, look, some of that's Tom Thibodeau and what this team ended up doing and being, which was different than what we thought. This team has now come in and really got serious about making the playoffs. And that that changed the role for Toppen somewhat. I'm not ready to write Toppen off, but I think that there are some definite red flags After watching him in New York, that make you question, especially given his age, what his ceiling is now and his upside is going to be, especially when you see that, you know, one of the appeals was that he was able to stretch the floor at Dayton. And that seemed like something that was going to be really appealing about his game. And he shot 29 percent from three uh, as a as a rookie in New York. That's that's a little bit scary. Um, That's a pretty big drop off for him. Uh, I, I ended up giving them actually, interestingly, like a, a slightly better grade of C plus because I think that they got quickly out of this. And I think Toppin's going to have something, uh, even if he he wasn't great this year. But still, to me, not a great draft. And interestingly for the Knicks, didn't matter at all uh, because they're going to be a fourth seed uh, in the Eastern Conference. And that that is just massively overperforming ex- expectations for the Knicks. Let's go to Washington Wizards. Denny Avdia out of Israel, ninth pick in the draft. Cassius Winston, also a draft prospect in the second round for Washington. I gave them a B minus on draft night. What did you think about their draft then? And what do you think about it now, Brad?
1: Yeah, I was, I was around the same range. I think that Denny um, is sort of a checks all boxes kind of player I was a little bit skeptical of of his upside and I I still am now unfortunately he went down uh, in late April for the rest of the season but he he did play you know two or three fourths of the season so there's a decent size sample there I think he was mostly fine for a rookie but some of the questions that he had about not having like any dominant traits nothing that he does spectacularly well are still kind of out there he looked he looked to be um, a, a sort of a functional rotation player, which is a win for a rookie. And that's not a huge surprise given that he played at a high level in Europe, but not a guy who I think answered the questions about his upside and what his actual role might be on a good team. So I would say it's pretty neutral, um, some somewhere in the C range for me at this point, just because uh, you know, I think at, the, at this moment in time, you wouldn't take him probably at number nine overall, but also he had, you know, sort of a weird season and Washington had the really slow start. Now they've gotten hot and I'm not sure what you can take away from that. So I, I don't want to bury him, but at the same time, the questions about his ceiling that I kind of always had are still there.
0: Yeah. Again, for the reasons that we talked about, you don't want to write off a prospect in year one, but the Denny Avdia that. We saw, for the most part, in Washington. There was flashes of the hyped Denny uh, and what he could do, but but for the most part, I think you walked away with the team, with the scouts that had concerns about his game, feeling somewhat validated watching him play. And it's always a little bit harder to make the the translation from from Europe to the pros, Uh, even though he was playing on a on a legitimate uh, team, a EuroLeague team, a Maccabi Tel Aviv over um, in Israel, it's always, to me, a little bit harder to project what actually is going to happen. And so for the for the Denny Hypers, it was, okay, once he gets the NBA and the floor opens up and um, he's in the NBA basketball instead of European basketball, you're really going to see him shine. He kind of looked like the same player to me. Uh, And, you know, the question mark for him is always going to be what's going to be up with that shooting. He ended up shooting 41 percent from the field, 31 percent from three, Uh, that uh, his free throws were 64 percent. He's going to have to be able to shoot the basketball significantly better than that uh, to ever sort of warrant being picked at nine. And again, not to be a broken record, but Tyrese Halliburton was there. Um, He was ranked High, on, high enough on boards that this isn't just sort of a backseat driver um, going back and looking at it in an, an afterthought, and it seems like might have been a better fit uh, in Washington than Denny. Okay. So my grade for them is c plus, uh, for the Wizards uh, now. Uh, so the grade went down just a little bit. Boston. Aaron Neesmith went 14th. Peyton Pritchard went 26th. Yam Madar also out of Israel, went 47th. What did you think about Boston's draft then, and what do you think about it now? It's
1: another interesting one where uh, the, the I guess the prize of their draft at this moment is their second pick, not their first pick. Um, I, I'm a little bit skeptical of this, but Peyton Pritchard has been the better rookie for sure of the two, and I think he's another guy that I thought was a little bit overdrafted when they took him. So I guess that tells you what I know, but at the same time, uh, Neesmith's running into form a little bit though. He has been better recently. That pick seems fine to me still, you know, late lottery. He had a good um, projection as a shooter, which is why they, why, why they tabbed him. And I think I'm skeptical of his like, you know, super high upside, but he does fill a role of checks and boxes as a shooter. And then Pritchard's been really good. Like I think better than anyone could have imagined as a rookie. So the combination of those two things, I think you have to improve a little bit Um and then, you know, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. I think Pritchard's been like a top 10 rookie, which doesn't mean a ton, but you know, when you're asking him to come in and contribute the way they kind of needed him to uh, like, he was out playing Jeff Teagra in the season, that kind of stuff when he, that he was not, he was actually not supposed to be playing ended up playing quite a bit. So I think I probably land in the B minus C plus range, something like that a little bit above the baseline. I'm not in love with Neesmith, but the Pritchard pick looks pretty good to me.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. And again, here's the surprise. Uh, at- Pritchard is better, though. You know, Pritchard was a four-year senior. The toughness, a lot of things that make him a Danny Ainge uh, type player, I, I, I think, showed. I also think that Pritchard got really hyped early in his season when he came in and did some really amazing things early on, and people were shocked that he was the 26th pick. And it's it's leveled off a little bit uh, for Boston as the season's gone on. But he's he clearly looks like he's an NBA player. And when you draft a player at 26, that looks like they're going to have a long career in the NBA. I, I think that's 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 an A uh, when you draft them that low. Neesmith Smith I I is a disappointment. I, I liked him. Uh, I thought he was exactly what Boston needed. They needed a shooter. They needed a guy who was going to really stretch um, the defense. You know, interestingly, he's he shot it okay. He shot at thirty eight point five percent from three at least coming into this podcast, which is which is okay. But uh, he just struggled to 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 stay on the floor, and I think a lot of that has to do with some some concerns about him on the defensive end, and also I think he just got off to a really slow start, and I think that that, that discouraged Boston Boston a little bit and and changed his role a little bit. But I'm still holding out hope uh, that he is going to come back. You know, he is shooting 38 and percent from three, which is a really really good number, and it is something the Celtics need. Let's see what another year or two um, gives him uh, down the road. So I'm going to go ahead. And uh, with them, I'm going to give them a B minus. All right. And that was a B before. So B to B minus is a small um, shift there. One thing I will say, you know, because you always have to go back and and say, well, who else was available on the board for them? And one guy just clearly stands out for them. Why didn't they draft Sadiq Bey? Uh, right. Especially given where Boston's developmental curve was, where they were planning. Sadiq Bey seemed like he'd be a good fit there. And given his season... Compared uh, to Neesmith's season, that's the guy that I think you could really peg and knock Boston on. That Sadiq Bay was on the board and they didn't take him.
1: Yeah, that makes sense for sure. I think Bay fits their fits their uh, timeline very well as well. He does, and, and it's it's it's
0: hard to see after year one how Neesmith's going to end up being a better prospect uh, than Sadiq Bay is. Orlando Magic, Cole Anthony, high school phenom, struggled his rookie year. At UNC gets drafted 15th by the Magic, which I think was a little bit higher than most people had uh, projected him. Uh, I gave him a C plus on draft night. What was what did you think about the Magic's draft then and now?
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, I was a little higher on Anthony by the end, which is kind of a roller coaster that extended cycle of the draft. I went from being lower on Anthony to I think being higher on, on him the most by the end, just because. A lot of people kind of bailed, which I understood. He had kind of a weird season at North Carolina, and it's also been a weird season this year for him in Orlando. Uh, He's ended up having to take on a pretty big role because of all the injuries the Magic have had, and he also had a long-term injury, too. He's been back for about a month now and has been a little bit better since then. The counting stats are okay, but his season-long numbers are not blowing anybody away by any stretch of the imagination, um, especially through his his perimeter shooting has not been fantastic, but I think it's been a relatively... Um, solid rookie season when you adjust for the injury and also just an impossible circumstance because, you know, he's not good enough right now to overcome this, but Orlando's ecosystem around him offensively is not what you would want to put around a young point guard. He's kind of had a not, not a lot of spacing and had to do a whole lot with the ball in his hands. So, uh, I think your point about him going a little bit higher um, that he maybe should have in the draft might still be true, but I think we kind of have to almost take a an incomplete on him right now. He has flashed a little bit though, but I just wish we could have put him in a situation where he had some uh, normal circumstances because at North Carolina, it was kind of similar, like no spacing and him having to do a lot. And I think I just want to see him in a more normal normal spot for him.
0: I think that's fair. Uh, I, I upped their grade a little bit to B minus because I think he played a little better than I expected him to, especially... Like you said, given the circumstances that we typically don't see rookies in the position that he's in, uh, especially at this point in the draft. Maybe very early in the draft we see that. but usually those are again, sort of higher ranked prospects asked to carry a team uh, as as a young player like that. and i and I think that he performed okay. Uh, he He wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. Uh, He wasn't very inefficient. He wasn't very efficient, but that's sort of what we saw at North Carolina. And again, not all of that can be his fault because he was forced to do, you know, a lot of things uh, for them. He actually kept his turnovers pretty low, which I think is which I think is pretty impressive. Obviously, that jump shot needs to fall a little bit better than it did uh, this season for him to be a star. But overall, I think the Magic can sort of look at this and say, yeah, he was probably drafted about where he should have been drafted in this draft and, and and can't feel badly about that, though I don't think he's also their point guard of the future. Let's go to Miami. Precious Ochoa was drafted twenty by the Miami Heat.
1: Uh what did you think about their draft back then and now? Yeah, I didn't I didn't love Um, precious when he was getting lottery hype at the beginning of the cycle. But I think that the fit in Miami always made sense to me as like a, you know, low usage, big energy guy. And Miami just finds a way to get the most out of guys in general. And his his tools are really interesting. He's very, very athletic. And also um, I think kind of miscast in some circles, as like a perimeter guy. They have him more as a, more, more of a dive threat and that kind of makes a lot of sense. And I think that um, he's not played a ton this year, so it's kind of hard to find where his real level is, but that's because he's playing on a team that, you know, went to the finals last year and has been competing for the playoffs all season long. So, I think it's kind of incomplete, but I think what I've seen has been pretty solid and you could sort of see the, the makings of a very, very um, sort of functional role player big. So I feel the way I think I did before the season, honestly, like somewhere in that B range for me, uh, a pick that I think is a good value at 20 where they got him, but also not a guy who's going to change their franchise.
0: I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I dropped it a little bit from a, from a 2020 grade of B to 2021 grade of B And I, I, I was comfortable where they drafted him. I, I agree with you. I thought it was the right spot. I thought he was a good fit in Miami. I thought he's really the only player in the 2020 draft that could defend all five positions. The question was, will his, will his offense come around? And, and basically, in the limited time that we saw him play, you can see the defensive potential. The offense was, was pretty awful. It was about, I think, what we, we thought it might be going in. He didn't attempt a three, by the way, the entire season. Uh, which is which is interesting. The modern NBA didn't didn't even attempt <laughs> yeah. didn't even attempt to take a three. Which I I got to hand it to him because I, I think one of my concerns in Memphis was that he thought. He was more of an offensive threat than he actually was, and so there's some discipline there uh, that yep. he's gotten in Miami, which is which is good. He probably shouldn't be shooting threes. Um, interesting that he didn't take one all season. I, I'm pretty comfortable. I ended up with a B minus for them. He he maybe didn't quite have the impact I thought he might on the defensive end year one. He was about what I thought he'd be uh, offensively. Let's move to this the 76ers. Tyrese Maxey at 21. Isaiah Joe at 49. Paul Reed at 58, they also made a draft night trade that got them Seth Curry, which probably was their big move that I think was really, really helpful for 76ers having the the
1: best record in the Eastern Conference this year. Uh, what did you think of their draft? This is one of those drafts originally that was like kind of for the diehards uh, a lot, especially the Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe picks. I, I like those picks a lot and you don't want to overstate them. They're second round picks. And I, I know I heard you and John Hollinger talk about Paul Reed recently and Paul Reed I think is a... Uh, a very, very good pick at 58, despite a guy who's not played a lot so far in the NBA, you know, G League MVP, et cetera. Um, Max, he's the only first rounder. I think that's been fine. Uh, he he had some flashes early on when he was playing a lot due to some COVID absences, and he's kind of settled into a backup guard role. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that, but I still think there's a lot of potential there. And um, I liked all three picks at the time. I might be a little bit lower now, but only by default, because I was very, very high on this draft. Yeah, yeah you gave to, him an A. You yeah, gave I mean, him an A on draft night. Where my board was, it just like, I kind of had to, I was, I was much higher on all three guys. So you feel like you have to be pretty effusive. And, um, I don't want to overstate it again. It's, it's two, it's, it's two second rounders in the back half and a late first. So you, you don't want to go crazy, but I still, I still like it. I think I probably still get like an, like an A minus probably. Um, but even you have to acknowledge that the impact of that given where they were picking is not enormous.
0: I was so overwhelmed by your A that I forgot to give them a grade. I actually went back and listened to the podcast, and I was like, I I didn't actually grade them. All all I said was I wasn't as high on on that draft as you were, uh, which is – so my grade was somewhere less than an A. My guess is just listening to me talk about it that I probably saw it like somewhere in the B-ish range. Uh, I give it a B-plus this time. Uh, one because I I think Maxi, you know, he showed some stuff there that I, I just I was that was one of the guys in the draft that I was really really unsure about. He just didn't know what he was going to be. I'm still concerned that he's shooting 28% uh, from three. That that's a number that he's absolutely going to have to improve if he is going to uh, make it in the league. Paul Reed was G League MVP, uh, right? Uh, some real you major ball, validation for John John Hollinger there. Uh, he can't really get minutes in Philly, uh, which is you know interesting. But again, this is the top team in the Eastern Conference and and that 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 says something there. I definitely think that they have a prospect. If nothing else, they may have a real a nice trade chip uh down the road in the offseason if they need it uh for them. And, and and clearly, clearly they got value there. Let's go to Toronto. Malachi Flyn was the pick at 29, Jalen Harris at 59. What did you think about the Raptors then and now?
1: Yeah, it was a pick that I, I kind of liked. Uh, Flynn was somewhere somebody I, I had in that range. And, you know, given it's kind of weird now because Toronto is out of the playoffs and they've had this like you know, this disaster season, but they're supposed to be competing for the championship this year, at least, or at least a, a top tier team in the East on paper. So they're, they're kind of picking for the future and also picking for a guy who might be able to help them now. And Flynn, a little bit older rookie, and he's kind of been what I thought he'd be, maybe a little bit worse. Um, just because of the situation, but he's had some flashes too. In fact, he had a big game in Atlanta that I saw in person. I'm trying to, I'm trying not to let me swing. I sort of have that, have that be swaying my opinion, but I, I do like Flynn still as a backup point guard type with some upside, I would probably go somewhere like the B minus range. It's still, you know, it's a late first and he did not, um, you know, dominate or anything, but I think he's still kind of what they thought that he would be.
0: I really liked Flynn pre-draft. I'd given them a B plus on draft night. I thought it was just so fun to watch, and I, and again, I I like youth. Didn't expect the Raptors to be a a, a team that was going to be a lottery team, and and thought that Flynn made a lot of sense as as an older guard who could come in and give them some minutes. He he got off to a really rocky start. He improved a little bit after the G League bubble. I think he's gotten better. Uh, he's probably disappointed, but not not hugely disappointed for me. Down just a little bit, so my grade drops uh, to a B. Um, for them and Jalen Harris getting a little bit of playing time right here towards the end of the season super athletic a a bit of an intriguing prospect for me but really just not enough minutes yet to really be able to say much of anything um, about him in Toronto Milwaukee had two picks uh, Jordan Wara at 45 Sam Merrill at 60 last pick in the draft Uh, what did you think about their draft then and now
1: yeah, it was one of those obviously it's a low a low consequence draft when you're picking twice in the back half of the second round. I think they were I liked both picks for what they were and Milwaukee uh, I know it's a long time ago now but they were in a spot where, you know, the salary cap was really uh, I would say more the luxury tax was really bearing down on them where they kind of almost had to play them and they they've both played a little bit. They've both they both been somewhat playable. Their numbers look okay for rookies. They can both shoot a little bit. So, I think it's, you know, it's all relative, but I would say somewhere in the B range, B plus range. They were two of the guys that I liked in terms of value in that range. And I think they returned at least a little bit of value this year.
0: I gave them an A minus just because I thought that the exact same reason that you talked about, you needed guys, they needed bodies and they, because of their salary cap issues and everything else, they needed bodies and they needed shooters and they drafted both of these guys because they could really shoot um, the basketball. And the good news is they've both really shot, um, the basketball uh really well uh early on they, they did exactly what they came to do in fact noora is uh averaging uh you know 45 percent uh from three uh, this year which is exactly um, uh, what what you want uh out of, out of your prospect and Merrill also shooting the ball really well they didn't get as many minutes frankly as I, I thought they might because Milwaukee was able to make some deals and and make some moves that allowed them to fill out the roster a little bit more than it looked like on draft night but Look, when you get a pick that's forty-fifth and sixty, and they can they can play, uh, and and they perform really well. In fact, I think Noir actually has a has a decent future um, in the league. Uh, Sam Merrill's a little bit older, and so worry a little bit about his upside. I gave him an A minus on draft night. I'm giving him a B plus now. Maybe slightly more realistic expectations about that. But again, we're we're grading all these teams based off of where they drafted in the draft. Uh, And, you know, did they get value for where they drafted? And I think the answer for Milwaukee is yes. Um, Last team in Eastern Conference that had a draft pick on draft night uh, because Brooklyn uh, ended up uh, making a trade. Indiana Pacers, Cassius Stanley at 54, who we got to see in the dunk contest.
1: (laughs) I was going to say he is is certainly best known now as a dunk contest participant. Um, I have to just give that a, a... I don't know, a DNP, uh, incomplete, something like that. He played, I think it was less than 80 minutes this season. So what are you going to do? Uh, I, I still think that that pick made sense as a flyer. Like Stanley has, obviously by nature of his dunk and beards, he has um, a lot of burst athletically. And anytime you can add a Toolsy athletic wing. Uh, it's not. The, it's not the worst thing in the world. Those are the guys you want to take chances on, and I think that still makes sense. Is he, was, he was a high pedigree guy coming out of high school too. So I have no idea what to make of that pick at this moment in time. But the rationale made sense to me. It did.
0: It did as well. And I gave them a, um, I gave them a B on draft night. He's played so little. It's a little bit hard, like you said, to really know what came of this pick. The, you know, all we can say is that he can really dunk the basketball, which I think we knew. <laughs> Coming, I think it had some like a forty-five-inch vertical sort of coming into this, and so yeah, we we knew that about him. But given Indiana's struggles and roster and everything else, a little bit surprising maybe that he couldn't find his way to do a little bit more in Indiana. So I, I dropped their their grade down to a C plus. Uh, but again, most of this is based off of very little uh, numbers and uh, from Cassius Stanley. Okay, look, uh, Brad. Uh, that's that's the Eastern Conference. Uh, we've regraded all of them now. When we come back, I just want to get a few of your thoughts on the 2021 NBA Draft. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to talk to you about my favorite protein energy bar. It's Built Bar. And the thing about that I love about Built Bar is it is the most delicious bar that you're going to be able to get it. It tastes like a candy bar. It's significantly more interesting to eat and taste than any other bar that's out there. It has a ton of of flavors. There's caramel brownie. There's cookies and cream. There's cherry barcia. Lemon almond cheesecake is a favorite. um, Carrot cake. Apple almond crisp is one of my favorites. And then those those are the new flavors. And there's like 12 original flavors. Coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie. That's another one of my, my personal favorites. Salted caramel. Double chocolate, orange, toffee, almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're not chalky or hard. They're actually soft and easy to chew. Uh, They, my kids love them. I have to fight my kids to keep them away uh, from the Built Bars because they they think they're candy. And trust me, they have never wanted to eat the energy or protein bars that I've ever had before. Uh, I use them because I'm a runner. And and I love them because they give me uh, energy and they they have low calories, they're low sugar, uh, they're high protein, they're high fiber. If you're on the keto diet, um, which some of my family members are, uh, it's it's great as well. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built Bar. And we are back. we to my new website, www.mbabigboard.com. I've got Mock Draft 1.0 up there. I've got Big Board 4.0. Got who's in and who's out of the NBA draft. Lots of in-depth scouting reports going on. And I'm writing uh, about the Eastern Conference and, and these rookies from 2020 and sort of assessing where I had them last year versus this year. You can read all about that uh, over on my new website and newsletter, nbabigboard.com. We just regraded the eastern conference 2020 draft brad also covers the draft this year as well we actually haven't had him on the podcast yet this season and so brad uh let's just talk about your let's start at 2021 give me your top five i'm assuming it's the same top five as everybody um, in the league right now but i'm really curious about your order who are the top five prospects in this draft in your mind
1: yeah, it is the same top five. Um, you know, I, I, it's not. I'm not quite as married to that as some people are. are I think, but I think that is still my top five group. Uh, it's almost three tiers for me at this point. Um, I have Kid Cunningham and kind of his own tier at number one, um, and then a teardrop to Evan Mobley and his own tier at number two, and then the group of um, I would go Suggs three, Green four, and Kaminga five. And that order of those three is a little bit more fluid. They are sort of in the same tier for me right now. Um, I really, really, really like um, Cunningham and Mobley. Not that that's uh, breaking news. I think a lot of people do. Um, But there's, at least I've seen or, or heard some people that have, either green or Suggs usually uh, up in that top group. And for me, it's a pretty clear top two. Uh, And I think Mobley separating himself was uh, pretty impressive considering I always had Cunningham number one, going back a year plus, but Mobley was uh, a guy who really kind of blew me away this year. So he's now firmly number two for me.
0: Okay. Interesting. That's, that's the exact same order that I have them in though. I I'm being a little bit more generous and putting all five of those guys in what I in what I call my tier 1 I think all of them actually have the potential to be stars in the NBA. I agree with you that Cunningham has the strongest chance of that and and would be the number 1 pick for me if I was drafting him on draft night and and Mobley too. But uh, you know there's 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 a lot of depth at the top of this draft this year and unlike last year's draft where we we saw the, those high upsides but those scary floors I actually think in this draft, I don't see major floors with Green, Suggs, Mobley, or Cunningham. A little bit more with Kaminga, but Kaminga also has a very, very intriguing ceiling.
1: I totally agree. I think Kaminga is, if you had to pick one of the of them being the riskiest, it's probably him just because he's a little bit more raw. But I mean, honestly, I would argue his ceiling is almost as impressive as the top two. Just if you if you try to squint and say, you know, a guy with his physical tools um, as a combo for dating back to what we talked about earlier, a guy who's 6'8", that can do the stuff that he can physically is the kind of player that everyone wants. So um, even having him fifth, I acknowledge that most of that is because of the floor being a little bit lower. It's not a ceiling question for him at all. You said you're not
0: completely tied to those five being the top five, which makes me ask this question, which I think there's a lot more varied answers around the league, <laughs> just talking to GMs scouts um, and, and, and certainly the media that cover cover the draft. Who's the number six guy on your board?
1: It's a great question. I knew you were going to ask it. Uh, and when I say I'm not married to the top five, it's really that I'm not married to Kaminga. Uh, I think he is the one that I can sort of hear arguments on. I think the top four are kind of the top four pretty clearly, but I've I, I asked on this. I, I there've been a few different guys that I've had at number six. I think if I had to choose one guy in a vacuum right now, I would probably go with Keon Johnson. Um, but that's really not a, a, a comfortable choice, which kind of outlines your point there of like number six is a, almost a wasteland. I've heard some Scotty Barnes arguments that are persuasive to me. Scotty Barnes is someone that definitely appeals to me. He's the kind of prospect that I always like. Um, where the biggest challenge for him is probably going to be scoring the basketball, which is not ideal, but he does a lot of things well. And that always kind of speaks to me. So I think one of those two would be the choice. I probably lean toward Johnson just because of upside. I think six, five super athlete, um, if everything came together and that's a big, if, if everything came together there, I think his ceiling is pretty darn high. So if you're someone who drafts or wants to draft uh, more towards the ceiling aspect, I'd probably lean to Johnson. If it's more floor, maybe median outcome, someone like Scotty Barnes. I think Ken Johnson's a popular pick there at six. Uh, I have
0: him at eight, but he's definitely in that that range for me, Uh, along with Scotty Barnes, uh, who I have a little bit lower, but I've had, again, some folks make some very persuasive arguments about Scotty Barnes. I've actually been diving back in uh, to his tape recently, um, because he is such a unique and intriguing player for me. Uh, Franz Wagner, Davian Mitchell, um, Jalen Johnson still I think I think some people have cooled on him, but there's there's clearly some NBA talent there. And Josh Giddy out of Australia sort of round out like my top ten, top eleven. Uh, any of those guys not in your top top
1: eleven, anybody you'd like to kind of replace in there? I'm a little bit lower on Davion Mitchell, and not that I think he's bad. I just I'm a little worried about the sample with him. I think something actually John Hollinger mentioned on your recent podcast with you is that, and I echo this as well. Like he's an older guy who kind of had one pop season, and it might be real. There's no question. Uh, It was a lot of fun to watch him compete. Uh, This season in college, and he was an excellent college basketball player without question. And defensively, there's a ton to like, too. He's kind of a bulldog. He's really strong. Um, But the shooting is a question for me. If you don't buy the shooting, there's a lot to like still, but it's not lottery. Um, If if, if the shooting for this year is not a real thing compared to what his last couple seasons were before that that is kind of the swing skill and every, you know, all these guys have swing skills, but that's one that jumps out to me as uh, he's sort of a late riser too. Like he, he rose throughout the season, but no one would have had Davian Mitchell in the lottery six months ago. And it's probably justified by the way that he played, but it's just a question of, if you believe the shooting, and I'm a little bit more worried about
0: it. Fair enough. Uh, who would you replace him with? Who Who didn't I
1: mention that maybe you're a little bit higher on? Uh, there's a couple guys that I think are still probably in that mix. I, I'm I'm still a, a hold on, on Moses Moody from Arkansas. I, I do like Moses Moody quite a bit. Um, I think he had a really bad tournament, which was unfortunate. Uh, so as did Franz. Wagner, as did Franz. Um, I'm actually a Michigan guy, so I was uh, observing that very closely, and he uh, did not have his best tournament. But I still I, I like that you have him up there still. Um, but um, unless I just didn't hear you mention him, I, I would say Moody would be the guy that I would include that you did not.
0: Yeah, Moody. Uh, Moody was. A spot or two uh below that and again a guy that struggled a little bit in the tournament but not sure that that frankly should make a big difference as you said franz wagner st- struggled in the tournament uh a- as well and uh or at least he did in, in in the ucla game who's your sleeper anybody that you're on right now brad that you kind of look out there and say why aren't why aren't more people talking about this guy
1: uh, there are a couple Um, one of them. I'm not even sure if he qualifies because he is, was on a prominent college team. And he's been around a couple of years, but I'm a real, I'm, I'm a very big Aaron Henry guy from Michigan state. Mm. Uh, I think Aaron Henry, not as a star by any means, but he's one of those guys that checks a ton of boxes. And I think makes a lot of sense in the modern game, more of a late first round type, even for me, uh, you're not, not gonna be my top 15, but someone who defensively you like a lot. And I think um, the fact that, it's, it's really the jump shot there too. And that's kind of a story that is very, very familiar with a lot of players. But if you think that he can be a, even a catch and shoot guy, um, his passing, his playmaking and also his defense make it sort of round that out. So there's a few names, but that's one that I, I found myself being a little bit higher on than most people. Okay. That's a great name. Uh, he's Brad Rowland. You can
0: check out his stuff on locked on Hawks locked on podcast network covers every one of your teams that you follow every day. and And Brad's, Brad's pumping out podcasts every day about the Atlanta Hawks and and knows the team in depth and just does really great work and really appreciate you uh, coming and talking about the NBA draft as well. And just a reminder to all of our listeners, you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Hope host Peter Pekowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcast. Brad, pleasure having you on the show. We'll bring you back as we get closer to the draft. Enjoy this Atlanta Hawks playoff run. I will do my best. Thanks for having me, Chad. All right, take care. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha.